Well, it is the Bob McCullough Podcast. Uh, I am the aforementioned, and that over there is John Shannon, as Robert? per usual. Have a nice weekend, did you? Yeah. Well, you know, Southern Ontario, the weather was so good. How do you beat it? Holy smokes. Well, get ready because... Um, <laughs> it's going to be a long winter. <laughs> well, we're getting close to it. You know, you get teased in September and you kind of think, you know, the summer's over, but then it isn't. And um, all of a sudden things change. By the end of the week, I gather here in Southern Ontario, we will not likely see 20 degrees. What? As a high. So, well, don't blame me, pal. I mean, oh, I, you're the weather I'm man, re- aren't you? I'm reporting the news, I see. not creating it. I see. You'll have to look <laughs> elsewhere for well. the individual responsible for that. Uh, Zach Hyman's going to join us uh, today, the um, former Leaf, now Edmonton Oiler. Mm. Um, and I'll be intrigued to see if he, uh, how he feels about this, this move, uh, leaving his hometown, where he has played all his professional games including with the Marlins, effectively. So. Yeah, and well, and, and when you think about it, here, here's a guy that was uh, originally da- drafted by the Florida Panthers and mm-hmm. uh, was set in his ways and did not want to play in Florida, wanted to try to find a way to get traded to the Maple Leafs, did that. Yep. Uh, and um, I, I think there's a few people disappointed that he didn't stay in Toronto, but uh, the Maple Leafs had set a, uh, a ceiling as how, how much they wanted to pay him. And uh, somebody wanted to pay him a heck of a lot more. So, yeah, you can't blame him. No. Um, and he gets to play with Connor McDavid. Well, only on Dreisaitl, who's not too dusty so, either. So you think you think he'll play with Dreisaitl, not McDavid? No, I didn't say that. Oh, I see. Okay, because you know that's going to be a great uh, conversation in Edmonton. Who's going to be on Leon's wing, and who's going to be on Connor's wing? Well wouldn't surprise me at all if Hyman sees significant time with both of them, at least in the early stages to kind of assess chemistry. But I, I mean, I don't know. I'm that's a pure guess on my part. The guys, mm-hmm. you know, the guys played with a variety of top high profile offensive players in Toronto. And um, mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll have similar success in, um, in Edmonton, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um. I assume most of the audience spent some time watching the National Football League over the weekend. And, and the thing that intrigues me is the number of big plays that we, we've seen, and generally speaking, the high scoring yeah. that, we've, that we've seen. And um, it's certainly been entertaining. you got to admit that much, at least. Well, you know, we, I think that when you're, when you're involved in other sports and you get talk to people at, at, at other leagues and they sit in, and talk about, uh, we know who the, you know, the big boy on the block is, and that's the national football league. And then the NFL literally right now can do, do no wrong. The games are entertaining. I mean, last night's game, Bob, between Baltimore and Kansas city was like watching the thriller in Manila. It was a heavyweight fight back and forth um and you know it, defense i mean both teams claimed to have great defenses and there was 69 points scored i think 35 34 was the final score oh 36 35 actually oh, okay okay 71 i mean it it was it was electric the whole game every time every time one quarterback did something the other guy did something else and it was it was just so much fun to watch. It was, I mean, those are games that would be a thrill to be working on because 
they were just so much fun. And the fans got into it in Baltimore. It was quite something. But that, well, but not just that game, though. Well, that's what I was just going to say. It, 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 you know, that game undoubtedly was the prof- high-profile game of the week. Sunday night football has become a much bigger event than Monday night football. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were bunches of them. Uh, almost, uh, you can't say every game, but there were a lot of games that had lots of points and lots of drama. Yeah. Well, even even your team uh, got off to a sputtering start yesterday and ended up winning. But uh, Houston put a scare in them. Well, sure they uh, did in, in Cleveland. And uh, if, if not, I, I would suspect if not for Tyrod Taylor's injury in the second half, uh, it would have been a lot closer than thirty-one twenty-nine for the Browns. Thirty-one twenty-one. Yeah. Is that what did I say? Twenty-nine. Yeah. Sorry, thirty-one twenty-one. I knew it was twenty-one. So. Well, you'll get you'll get one of these scores right. Don't you worry. You just you just keep rattling them off, and and um... <laughs> there's there's only sixteen games. Oh, I got I got a chance to get one of them right. Uh, Buffalo Bills swamped Miami thirty five nothing. Thank you. Yeah, you got that one. See, I knew I knew eventually if I kept throwing games out, you'd get hey, a listen, score right. All I care is W's and L's. I'm not I don't I'm not a point spread guy. I'm a W's and L's guy. But I will say this: I watched a bit of the Bills play. And um, honestly, I was not overly impressed. And I mean, it's hard. How can you not be impressed with 35 nothing? Uh, I mean, obviously, the defense played well, but, you know, Miami's quarterback goes down and uh, they're not much of a team anyway. They and, were supposed to be better than it. Tagley have always supposed to be make them a better team. Well, uh, they, yeah, well maybe, maybe at some point in time, but not yeah, yet. Yeah. How um, about the, and the Patriots? I mean, you know, the Patriots find, uh, find ways to win. I mean, they, they did play the Jets, but Bill Belichick seems to have found his, uh, his, his uh, quarterback of the future in Mac Jones. I mean, it's quite, uh, they're quite something to watch. Well, look at. And then, uh, I mean, the Seahawks, I mean, there's lots of people on the West that listen to the, listen to the podcast, the Seahawks, who I think where they were going to say, well, Tennessee didn't play well in week one and the Seahawks are at home. Um, that to me is, uh, that to me is a, a, a simple, a simple Seahawk victory. And yet Tennessee comes back and wins. So that's, that's another interesting storyline. Yeah. I mean, two games into the regular season, it's really a mistake to start evaluating how teams that are good, bad, or indifferent quality of opposition. Uh, the fact that most regulars do don't play in the preseason games. Um, I don't know how a 17 game regular season is going to differ from a 16 game regular season, but there's an extra week in there that you get a chance to get it right or get it wrong. Um, but we all are guilty of, of, uh, of evaluating, uh, games in all sports, hmm. uh, within the window of that two and a half or three hours or four hours or whatever it takes and not in the, with a bigger perspective, a loss is always more dramatic for a fan than a um, than it should be. And the other guy we should be we probably be looking at. And we're going to talk uh, about the NFL tomorrow with uh, Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. Um, but uh, Matthew Stafford, who uh, gets a new life, leaves the Lions, plays for the Rams, uh, and Matthew Stafford has. I mean, what there are going to be Lions fans that are suggesting, why didn't he play like this for us? Because he looks really good 
Mind you, they have a great receiving core with the Rams. Well, yeah, and mind you, I mean, there were plenty of moments where Matthew Stafford looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League when he was with Detroit. Mm -hmm. It just didn't happen on any kind of a regular basis. And I may be 100% wrong because I'm no Lions fan by any stretch of the imagination. But I, my perception always was he was surrounded by inferior talent in Detroit that this guy actually is a very good quarterback. I don't oh, yeah. know whether he's elite, but he's a very good quarterback. Um, but And did the best he could with what he had. So, so actually, so that you bring up a really good point. So, because um, I, uh, I agree with you. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, think he, I think he is a really good, a good uh, football player. But if you're, the, if you're the Ford family and you own that franchise, and you see Stafford leave and go and have such success so quickly. Don't, don't you look at your, the management team you put together, the coaching staff you put together well, and say, why, 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 why can't we do that that the Rams have done? Well, look at them. They should look in the mirror then because how many times have they changed coaches? How many times have they changed general managers? Yeah. I mean, oh, I it's, been a, it's been a rotating cast of characters there in the front office for an awful long period of time. And that is a function of not winning. I get that. Yeah. Owners get impatient. General managers get impatient. They fire the coach. Owners get impatient. They fire the general manager. And it, it just becomes a revolving door. Uh, you, you, rather, speak, you speak from experience in Cleveland, Bob. Well, hell yes. And, and, and in Buffalo until they settled down five uh, years absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and the notion of keep changing until you find the right guy is understandable, but to then take a, to, to look at Matthew Stafford and his performance in Detroit versus what he has done, mind you, two games. Oh, with the but, Rams. Bob, but Bob, I mean, you can, you can see it. You, you, if yeah, he, but you could if see, he, I could he, see the talent he had in Detroit. And so could you, he had one great receiver. I think in his old, uh, really one hall of fame receiver in his time in uh, uh in in detroit but uh i mean you, the, the 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 swagger he has now the confidence his he's he's in full control every time he he goes under center i mean it is he, he's been really impressive the last two weeks well and i must tell you i'm not the least bit surprised i was surprised that they well i was surprised i was mildly surprised that they traded him but then again it's the detroit lions yeah who are prone to panic and prone to change and i guess i understand that but those kinds of franchises, and you mentioned Cleveland, we talked about Buffalo. There's there's others like that. Keep rotating through this cycle of change. And more often than not, don't get anywhere with it. Um, because it's not one thing, John. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. And every time you bring a new general manager and a coach in, of course, you bring in a new system. Right. And... I would think that learning a new system for a football uh, team is extremely difficult. And we probably dramatically underrate the significance and impact of changing coaches and changing system, changing nomenclature, all of that stuff. It takes time to learn that. And how many times are players doing the wrong thing? Because right. they forget the play or they, they, they think they heard something that they didn't hear and they're not familiar enough with it to go, oh, wait a sec, I should be doing this. 
and and it results in a sack or results in a, a some kind of mistake on the field. But we as fans aren't privy to the inside information that would allow us to acknowledge that, oh, it's because they're running a new system. It's because they got a new head coach. Mm-hmm. So, and look, I don't pretend to know uh, the answers to any of those questions. I don't pretend to know the answer. Uh, actually, your, your point about the 17 game schedule is a good one too. Cause will that be, how much of a difference maker will that be? Will, will we find, we'll find a out. wild card? Will we find a difference in, in the single game? Uh, uh, rectifies or clears up the wild card sooner. I mean, that that that's going to be uh, that's going to be fascinating. Well, it's going to be hard to get into a wild card game now. I think without ten wins. I mean, nine oh, yeah. and eight could get you in. Well, depends. I mean, what's the what's the worst uh, what's the worst division in in football? The uh, national <laughs> national conference East. You know, or yeah, Dallas? but I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a team winning a division with a 500 record. Well, you can't have a 500 record anymore. You're either going to be a game above or a game below, but I mean, there could be a division where the, where the, the team that wins the division is eight and nine. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. That's likely, but wild card. Hmm. I don't know. I think you probably have to win 10 games to get a yeah, wild you probably, card. I think, you, I, I think you're right. Yeah. 10 and seven, at least. Yeah. I think you're right. Anyway. Um, hope everybody continues to enjoy the national football league. The first two weeks have been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Zach Hyman. I was almost said traded, but he wasn't traded. He left as a free agent from mm-hmm. the Toronto Maple Leafs and joined the Edmonton Oilers. Um, not the first time away from Toronto playing. He played junior hockey in Hamilton and then went to Michigan State, Michigan University. Michigan, Wolverine, not a, not a Spartan. Well, we'll have a conversation about that. I mean, I don't hold it against him personally, but I'm not happy about the fact that I'm having a Wolverine on the program, as you can well understand, I would think. I'll, I'll tell Morosi. Well, there's another one. <laughs> uh, Zach Hyman, when we come back and uh, continue on the podcast and on Sirius XM after these messages. It's McCowan and Shannon uh, back with you on the uh, podcast and on uh, Sirius XM. Uh, he needs no introduction to um, hockey fans in general um, uh, across North America and around the world. The former Toronto Maple Leaf, now Edmonton Oiler, and for those of you who are not watching, but just listening to this, um, the Oilers logo is perched above your head, Zach Hyman, like, um, <laughs> like almost like you're an angel. Uh, uh, how are you enjoying your time in Edmonton? I know it's, it hasn't been a long time yet, but you're on the ice today, right? Yeah, yeah it's, I've been here for around two weeks now. And yeah, I'm getting very familiar, as you can see, with the uh, the logo above. So just in the uh, in the media room, uh, but everything's been awesome. Uh, team's been awesome. City's been awesome, and uh, it's been it's been great to uh, get started here. Zach, since you uh, since you signed with the uh, the Oilers, uh, your training regime has changed a little bit because uh, you moved from what used to be Mastercard, and you went up to St. Andrews with Gary Roberts. What was it like to go and be with Darnell and Fogel and uh, and that guy named McDavid. Yeah, it was good. And Shor- uh, Devin Shores there also. So it was like we had a, a mini Oiler group. There was five of us um, there in, in, in one spot. But yeah, it was it was you know I thought it was really important for me um, when the when the move was made. Obviously, when I signed, I wanted to get to know um, my my future teammates um, in the summertime and, and and make make the transition quicker than than most guys get to. And fortunate, um, fortunately, Connor and and Darnell both 
you know, train in, in Toronto and, and so does Devin. And, and then uh, a couple of weeks after I signed, Warren got traded uh, to, uh, to Edmonton. So we were all together in one gym and um, got to train with them, got to know them, got to skate with them and uh, really just be teammates uh, a couple months early, which was obviously fantastic for me. Um, you and I haven't had a chance to chat, and I know you've gone over this a whole bunch, and I, I, I don't want to interrupt the conversation and, and get historic here on everybody, but, uh, you know, Toronto-born, um, play in Hamilton, play junior hockey in Hamilton, and then decide to go um, to college hockey in the U.S., and unfortunately... Well, you, can't say, you can't say Michigan, Bob? Well, I, I, we, I prefer not to be profane on this show. Um, Zach, for, 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 I'm, I, I'm guessing you don't know, but I'm an Ohio State Buckeye. So, you know, that M word is a difficult one for me to spit out. Um, uh, but tell me just quickly about that process. Was it, was it about wanting to advance your education? Was it honestly about... Um, feeling you'd have a better opportunity if you, you know, took a ride you know, at a U.S. college rather than come out right after junior hockey? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, for every person and player, the, the choice is different. And for me, uh, I really thought that I needed time. And I thought that I needed time to develop as a hockey player. Uh, and, and that's why college was the perfect fit for me. Not only was I able to get an education, but uh, I was able to spend four years. I, I graduated from Michigan. I, I, I used all four years and I needed all four years um, to really maximize and give myself the best opportunity to, to make the NHL. And, um, you know, I, I didn't want to have a, an early impression in, in pro hockey when I wasn't ready for it. I really wanted to be over ready. And I thought that college would, have, would give me the best opportunity to be over ready. I didn't play my first NHL game or my first pro game for that matter until I was 23. Um, so, it really gave me time to develop and, and just be ready. But when well, you but you're a smart, when you, you're when a smart you guy. I don't know if you know this, John, but uh, what was your grade point average? Three, seven. Yeah, it was, it was, it was high. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess mom and dad were proud of you. Did they encourage you to, uh, to, to go to college? Yeah, definitely. They want, I mean, they wanted me to get my education because uh, nothing's a sure thing. And, and pro sports is obviously um, not a sure thing. And um, whether, whether it's, not getting opportunity or, or injuries or whatnot. There's, there are certain things that can potentially be out of your hand when you're trying to make it to the NHL or make it to any other sport for that matter. So they were really encouraging me to have an education and to have something to fall back on in case hockey didn't work out. And, and for me, it was always hockey's going to work out, hockey's going to work out and I'm going to make it. Um, but, you know, they were kind of the, the voice of reason in, in the back of my head being like, go to school, get an education and, and go and pursue your dream. But if, if it doesn't work out, you, you'll have something to fall back on. Over those four years, uh, Red Berenson had quite an influence. What did Red tell you in that period of time? Yeah, he was he was uh, probably one of the most influential people in my career for hockey and just in my life in general. Um, just uh, such a stoic uh, man and just such a such a great guy who really cares about his players. Um, and he's he's obviously a legend. And when you go to a school like that. Um, you, you, you're a 19 year old kid and you walk in a room and Red Berenson's standing there and he's your coach. Um, you know, things become serious real quick and he teaches you how to be a professional um, hockey player and how to be a professional in, in life and how to be a, 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 he calls it a Michigan man, but um, Bob, you won't like that, but uh, <laughs> okay. and it just means how to be a good person. And, and he was such an influential person in my life and um, I owe a lot to him. What part of your game 
did he work on the most? Did he help you with the most? Yes, I went into uh, college as an elite scorer. I won the CGHL player of the year the year before. And I thought I was going to go into college hockey and it was going to be easy and I would be a first line player and I was going to be a star player and score all these points because that's how it was in the previous. And I got there and I started off on the third line and then I ended up on the fourth line for my first couple of years. Uh, And he really taught me how to play on the defensive side of the puck. And I remember he brought me in his office um, after one year and he said, Zach, if you're not scoring goals, you, you better be doing something else. So that really, you know, stuck home with me. And that's when I really learned how to penalty kill, how to play. A uh, 200 foot game, uh, how to be defensive minded, and all those things. And then my offensive game developed later on, but he really set the, the groundwork for um, for me to round out my, my game and really helped me uh, carve out a role in the NHL. Well, the list of awards that you won while you were in college hockey is um, extraordinary. So uh, obviously, not only did uh, Coach Berenson do a good job, but so did you. Um, did your work, work ethic change um, while you were at Michigan? No, I, I think um, I, I, I've always had a really determined work ethic and, and just trying to get better and try to better myself every year. Um, and Michigan kind of helped foster that and, and gave me all the resources that were available to me to, to go out and, and continue to strive to be the best version of myself. And even when I wasn't playing as much in my first couple of years, I really took the time to use the resources available. We had skills coaches. Uh, Brian Wiseman, who's actually a coach here in Edmonton now, was one of the coaches at Michigan, um, really helped me develop my offensive game and, and just be more confident in myself. And, and then the strength work that the work that you're able to do off the ice in college compared to um, a longer junior season, I felt really was advantageous to me to kind of get ready as uh, ready physically and develop my body. The reason I ask is because in many cases, I think you would probably acknowledge goal scorers which of which you were one, you were a scorer. You got over a hundred points in a season. And um, I think led the league in points per game, if I'm not mistaken, Yeah. Um, in junior, you know, a lot of that tends to come naturally to guys. And many times they don't feel like they have to work as hard because they, they can do it. And here you are, you, you wind up in Michigan and you have a different mindset and a different role. And it's, it's, Sometimes players have to adjust their their work schedule and their ethics and their commitment to the sport in order to learn all those things. But clearly, this is something that you've had uh, your entire life. Um, now you get uh, your first real trade. I mean, you were drafted by Florida, traded to the Maple Leafs, but that was before you played a game. Now here you're in a different environment with different people. What has that process been like? Um, were you at all intimidated, reluctant uh, when you went in there? Or did you go in there and say, I know who I am and um, I'm here to help? No, I, I think for me, I was really excited. I think I spent enough time in the league now that I'm, I'm really confident in my, my ability and, and who I am as a player and, and, and what I can do. And, and for me, it was, I just really wanted to get to know the guys ahead of time and, and just feel comfortable uh, getting to know them. And, and, and that's why I started training uh, with Gary and w- with, with Connor and Darnell, um, Devin and, and Warren and getting to know those guys. And then uh, I had a couple of familiar faces who were in Toronto before uh, that were playing out in Edmonton and Tyson Berry and, and Cody Cece and, mm-hmm. and, and Tyler Ennis of last year, from last year. 
uh, spoke to him a ton and it's it just, it, it felt like a natural fit for me and it, and it does already. So, uh, and all the guys have been great since I've been here, getting to know them, going out for um, dinner and whatnot, seeing, seeing those guys. So it's been, it's been really good. Yeah, you, you, you talk about that, but one of the things I think of surprised a lot of people before you signed in Edmonton, you actually flew out to, with your wife, uh, I believe, to, to, to ascertain what Edmonton was going to be like for a lifestyle as opposed to a, a hockey rink's a hockey rink, but a city's yeah. a different world. Well, why did you do that? Yeah, I was, we were fortunate to have the opportunity, you know, Toronto gave us the the opportunity to speak to other teams, which we were, um, you know, we were ha- really happy about. And, and for us, for me, from a hockey standpoint, you know, my, my decision was, was, was made. I thought that this was a perfect hockey fit for me. And, and then from a life standpoint, my wife's never been to Edmonton. So uh, when you're making a big life-changing decision like this, there's a lot of different things that you have to factor in. It's not just the hockey fit, it's the life fit. I have a nine-month-old son named Theo. It's, it's where he's going to grow up. And, and I wanted to make sure that she was comfortable um, with, with Edmonton. And I thought it was really important for her to go and visit it and see the city and see the neighborhood that we grow up and see the schools that Theo could go to. Um, and then once we did that, and once she saw it, and once you know, she really loved it, and uh, and the city was was fantastic, and she you know really fell in love with it, and, and then it was a, an easy decision. In fairness, though, um, you took her during the summertime, right? <laughs> yes, because <laughs> <laughs> it does change a little bit uh, when uh, December rolls around. Well, even before December, um, many many times it's I guess it's not unusual to get uh, some snow there, well as early as now. Um, Compare the, can, or can you even compare the two hockey environments of being in Toronto, which everybody says is the epicenter of the sport where you can't walk down the street, where it's, you know, it's intense and the Maple Leafs are the cat's meow. Is it that much different in Edmonton? Uh, honestly, the, I mean, the whole COVID's kind of thrown a, a wrench into, into sure. the normalcy of things and walking around and things like that. So um, past couple of years in Toronto have been a little different, but I, I've been in Toronto. I was in Toronto long enough to kind of experience um, what you're talking about. And, and I've only been in Edmonton now for two weeks. So I, I don't know uh, if I've had enough time to, to fully experience it. But, but for me, you're going from one Canadian market to another Canadian market. Both markets have really, really passionate fan bases uh, and fan bases that want to win. Um, and both markets have elite talents and elite players. And with, with those types of players, you get high expectations and, and teams with high expectations. So I think that there are a lot of parallels between Toronto and Edmonton. What was that pressure like in Toronto? Well, I think it's just a pressure to win. I think that when I first got there, uh, there was no pressure. We were, we were a really young team. It was, um, you know, Austin and Mitch had just been drafted. Willie and I were in the minors um, coming up and, and there was no pressure. It was just go out there and have fun. You guys are a young team. There was no expectations. Nobody thought we were going to make the playoffs. And then we, ended up making the playoffs again and we played Washington tough in the first round. And then it's like, Oh, they made the playoffs. Now you got to make the playoffs again. And then the expectations start to build. And then every year you get a year older and, and, uh, and your team gets better and, and the expectations continue to get higher and the fans want you to go you know, further and further. Right. So how, how, how do you look back at your Maple Leaf career? Uh, do you, it, was it successful or was it frustrating? No, I think, I think that, um, Obviously, there, it was at times it was frustrating when you don't win. Only t- one team wins, and when you don't win, it's always frustrating. You always end off the year frustrated, uh, especially this past year when I thought that we had a really, really uh, unique opportunity to do something special, and and obviously it didn't work out for us. But 
Um, you know, I look at my back and my career in Toronto as, as you know, successful. I mean, for a kid who grew up in Toronto, who dreamed of, of playing in the NHL to have the opportunity to start his NHL career with the, his hometown team and, and to have success and to be, uh, to develop every year and to get better every year, um, you know, and to have my friends and family at the games early on in my career was something that um, was really special. And, and for me to kind of take the next step and to go somewhere else uh, is really exciting. And, and that's why I'm so excited for this year with this group in Edmonton and um, can't wait to get started. Um, I, I don't doubt you've reflected a bit on the Montreal series and losing the last three games uh, after being up three, one and probably feeling like you're, this is it. This is the breakthrough for this team and for your young core. What happened? Have you thought about um, those last three games? Um, was there anything that jumped out at you post facto? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was um, obviously a really tough series for us uh, for well, when I was in Toronto. Um, it's hard to reflect on just because of, of the, the way that it ended and, and uh, being up 3-1 and, and whatnot and, and having control of the series. And then I think it just they got away from us one game at a time. I don't, I think when you look back on it as a whole, it's, it's very disappointing, but when you look at it one game at a time, you know, there were opportunities to win those games and, and the bounces didn't go our way, go, go the way that we, that we wanted to. And then in game seven, we played poorly. Um, but yeah, it's definitely frustrating. And, and I, I mean, I haven't watched it back or like that and I won't, I'm not going to dissect it, but I know that the group was, was crushed and it was out of all the losses when I was in Toronto, that one was definitely the, the hardest. So when you're up, when you're up three, one, and then one game gets away from you, you're, you're probably still okay. And then you get to three, three. Now you're going to a game seven. If it was me, there would be a certain sense of, for lack of a better word, panic in, in me. Like, uh-oh, like we had this series, we were in complete control of it, and we're now at risk of letting it get away. Could you sense before game seven any of that within the room? No, I, I honestly didn't. I thought that uh, we were really confident going into game seven. Um, we thought that we were going to win. It, there, was, there wasn't any panic or anything like that. Um, it was just a confident group, and that, that, that a group that just didn't get the job done. How much, how much did the Tavares injury that one early in game one send you for a loop as a team? Or how did you adapt so quickly for that from that? Yeah, no, I think in, in game one, I think that the injury, um, it was one of the hardest things I've watched live and had to have it happen to a teammate. Uh, it was really scary, just the whole situation and scenario. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was one of those moments where you just don't really want to play hockey after you see something like that happen and you think about his family and his kids and whatnot. And, and as players, we didn't know. He was just getting, he got carted off and it looked like he was okay, but you don't, you didn't know anything and hear anything. And then afterwards you got the word that he was going to be fine. And then you kind of can settle in and, and reset and, and, uh, and get ready for the, the next games, which we did. Um, but obviously from a hockey standpoint, he was a huge part of, of that team and, and not to have him in the lineup definitely hurt. Zach Hyman is with us. Uh, we'll take a quick break and come back and uh, chat some more about uh, his new team and uh, the prospects of the Edmonton Oilers in the uh, upcoming season. We'll be back after these messages. Zach Hyman is with us. It's McCallum. It's Shannon with you on uh, the podcast and on Sirius XM. Um, so, I mean, I had a situation in my career where I was um, get made an, I got an offer from another company and 
walked away from more money to stay where, well, I actually walk away. I stayed where I was uh, maybe because of some fear of the unknown. Uh, were you, was, I'm intrigued by when you go through that, this process that you have now gone through, was this something that you discussed with your agent? You're a Toronto guy. You played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, played in the minors with the Leafs organization with the Marlies. Would you have taken slightly less to stay with Toronto? Did that topic ever come up? Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think out of fairness for, for the Leafs and I'm not going to go too much in the contract situation, but um, I think it, it was definitely when I looked at, uh, at, at, I guess I'll play out the way that my, my thought process through the, throughout the whole situation was, you know, when I was in Toronto, I thought I was going to be in Toronto and, and, and period. Uh, yeah. Up until, up until they gave, they gave permission to speak to other teams. It was, we were, nego- we were negotiating and that we weren't looking at other teams, but as soon as uh, I think both part- parties realized that this wasn't going to happen, that's when, um, when I got permission and that's when I was, you know, I spoke to my wife and, and I spoke to my agent and I said, um, you know, we need to move on from the, from here and, and I can't have Toronto in the back of my mind. So I told them that, uh, that that was it. And, and then, uh, and then I looked at all the opportunities and, and Edmonton was just one that really stuck out to me as the perfect fit for me uh, to not only grow my game and grow my career and take the next step, but to, to win a Stanley cup. And, and I got really, really excited about that opportunity. So you're, you're moving from Austin to Connor. Uh, yeah. Now you haven't played a game with Connor yet. Um, but you've been skating with him and you understand him a bit more. I think now uh, is, are there comparisons to be made between the two? Oh, um, they're so completely different, uh, as players, they're just, their skill sets are so different. Uh, going to get into skate with Connor in the summer, just seeing, uh, what he could do just on a day-to-day practice basis and then skating him, seeing with him now in, in these um, little captain's practice scrimmages and seeing the space he creates for himself and for his line mates. It's uh, pretty incredible, <clears throat> but completely different players. Austin is, is just such a talented uh, shooter, stick handler. He's bigger, big body, um, can make all those plays. And then Connor just is elite speed with elite hands and, and really just does it all. So they're both elite players, but both different. I know yeah, you're not, you're not unfamiliar with uh, Connor McDavid. You've played against him many, many times. Explain the difference of playing with a guy and you're in the reality of that, as opposed to seeing him from the other side. Yeah, no, this year in particular, I think in years past, we only played the played the Oilers when I was in Toronto twice a year. So I didn't really see him as much. Yep. Whereas last year, I think it was nine times. So mm-hmm. really got to see him up close and personal nine times. And I think the, the thing that's really special is that when you go into a game playing against him, he's the guy that you're, you're always aware of on the ice. And even though you're aware of what he can do and you're aware of how fast he is, he still does it. So it's, it's, it's very hard to defend against somebody when you know it's going to, you know, it's coming and you know, it's going to happen. Um, and it happens anyways. So I think that just seeing that and, and uh, playing against it uh, was really hard. And then on the flip side, playing with him, just, I think it's all about learning where to go when he has the puck, learning the areas that he likes to be in, learning where the open ice is, um, 
finding that open space, learning where he wants to get the puck when he's moving a thousand miles an hour and, and placing the puck into areas that he can get it. Because there are some areas that you think that, um, you know, a guy who plays in the league can, can't get there, but he's unique and special and he can get to those areas. So you can, you can, you know, make a play into that area and know that he'll be there. So uh, I'm excited to kind of learn his skill set more uh, if we get the chance to play together and, and we'll see. How many texts to Dave Tippett that you want to play on that left side? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, he's, uh, if I get the chance to play there, obviously it's going to be a really unique opportunity. But so the, 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 the thing with Connor, you've seen the speed, you've seen his skills now. What is it in your game that you have to make sure that you can complement that with? What do you, what do you do in your game? Yeah, no, I, I think, for me, I played in the league now with elite players for, for a long time. And, and for me, what um, what I've come to know is that you, you don't change your game for, for who you're playing with. You you hope that your game complements those players. And, and I think I found the most success by just playing hard and playing my style of play. And, and, and I think that that style of play helps create space and open up areas for guys like Connor to utilize their skill set. Um, and uh, and but of course, like when you get into when you get into the the different when you start playing with somebody, you start to learn their tendencies and then you can kind of adapt your game a little bit to the way that they play. But you have to maintain the, your style and the way that you play. You can't lose yourself when you when you play with with an elite talent like uh, like that. But I always I mean, I, I think the perception, generally speaking, John, I don't know if you agree, um, is that your game was became one of being the facilitator, the key facilitator, the guy who uh, goes in, does some of the dirty work, gets the puck, takes a look, and, and where's Matthews? Um, with, with McDavid, it's a slightly different scenario, I would think. Um, it, maybe it's getting the puck to him a lot sooner in the play than you would get it to Matthews. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, no, I think... Definitely that, but I also think that um, I've never seen it with Connor. I've never seen somebody be able to kind of draw another defender to them as, as well as he does. He always, when he's on the rush, especially, he'll beat a guy with speed and then he'll draw the second defender. So if you're if you're quick enough to get to areas where you can be a scoring threat, you'll have an opportunity to to um, to score because he draws two defenders to him. Or if the defender doesn't go, then he walks it himself. So I think that that's really a unique. Um, about him and even playing against him that's something that's really unique is that you always need kind of a, a support to to because you know he's going to beat more somebody one-on-one -on -one if he gets to them with speed um and then with austin your austin is, is is a shooter uh yeah. and just you can get the puck to him in any area whether it's in his feet or on his weak side on his backhand and, and he's able to just get the puck off and and be an elite scoring threat you know, with Connor, the way Connor plays is you actually may score more goals with Connor than you did with Austin. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, potentially. We'll, we'll see. Well, and, and it just make sure, again, you got to do some lobbying, man. You got, like, you got to get on that power play. You got to, <laughs> we're talking the number one power play in the league. And by the way, if you don't play with Connor, the number two center is not bad. No, yeah, he's not. Leon's a pretty good player, isn't he? Yeah, he definitely is. He's, uh, He's, I mean, again, when you when you talk about those elite skill sets, just totally different. But uh, does his own thing and his own style, and does it better than anybody? How how do you, I mean, when you lived in the Leaf organization, AHL, NHL, walking into a dressing room that you have the last two weeks, 
there's some big personalities already in that room. They understand each other really well. And you're the new, you, you become the new kid on the block. How do you manage that? It's weird because I don't feel like the, the new kid on the block, to be honest. Like, I feel like, I think that this summer and getting to know Connor and, and Darnell and, and Warren and Devin, it just, it's really helped me kind of feel comfortable early on and then getting to meet Leon and, and Nuge and Cass and Smitty. Like, there's so many guys here and, and meet the entire team. I just feel like I'm already a part of the team um, before we get started, which is a great feeling. The Edmonton-Calgary rivalry, I'm going to guess, is something that you are looking forward to experiencing. Um, and it's, do the Maple Leafs, John, have a rivalry? Well, Montre it, Montreal. Do you Montreal. think it is, really? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Zach, you, you played in the Toronto-Montreal rivalry. It's real, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and Calgary, Calgary's, Calgary, 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 Edmonton. It, I think it's, it, I think Calgary-Edmonton is probably more intense. It might be. Any opinion, Zach? No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think anytime Battle of Alberta, I mean, three-hour drive. So uh, it's I've watched it. That was always a game after whenever uh, when I was on Toronto, we play Saturday night, and then the game after that would be the the Calgary Edmonton game usually, and be a game that I would always watch. So definitely excited to uh, to be in that in that in that environment and, and that intensity and that rivalry. So it'll it'll be it'll be lots of fun. More travel this year, playing out of Edmonton, I guess. A lot more travel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I, th I felt like in the north, kind of set set us up for that. Like it was a little bit different than than the standard conference. Um, so the north division, kind of, we were traveling all over the place. As one of those guys, are you uh, are you just uh, you can't get enough hockey, so you'll be watching the out of town scoreboard, watching other games all the time. Are are you like that? Yeah, I watch some. One of the one of the good things about being. Uh, uh, out here near the west coast as you get on on mountain time so uh everything's a little bit earlier so i don't have to stay up too late because i like to go to bed early <laughs> well yeah listen you gotta i mean what your division when you think about it uh, with the california teams rebuilding um and seattle the expansion team in your division uh you, you got a real chance i think and i hope you agree that the oilers can you and vegas might be the two best teams in the division don't you think yeah, uh, I think uh, I think we have a great chance to to go and and, and to um, yeah, I think everybody's goal is to win the Stanley Cup and and it's one of the reasons that I came to, you know chose to come here is because I really believe in this team I believe in the pieces and and uh, going back to that division you know I believe that we we have as good a shot as anybody to to go and win it. <laughs> By the way, how old were you when uh, you saw Mike Smith play first? Because <laughs> because Mike's Mike's forty one and then Duncan Keith. We haven't talked about Duncan Keith joining yeah. this team. Yeah. There's some, there's two veteran players that are going to be fun to be around. Oh, big time. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, last year I got the, the pleasure of playing with uh, Jumbo and Spets and, and, uh, and Wayne Simmons. So um, it's always great when you have guys who have been around the league and who played so many games and, and Smitty, Smitty's been, been around, you know, forever played against them. He's one of the most intense guys I've ever met and getting to know him here and, and, and practices he hates getting scored on. So he's just a um, very unique guy and, and, you know, just a great guy to be around. And then uh, Duncan, you know, I watched him play in, in the finals and, and watched him do, you know, make things look easy, make, make, you know, shutting down elite players look easy. And to, to be with a guy like that, who has that much experience and that much um, success in his career, I think he's done everything from a personal and from a, from a team standpoint and to have a guy like that, it's, you, you can't measure how, how important that is. Well, 
Um, we know you met the coach. We know you've met the general manager. Have you met Bob Nicholson as well? I have. I have. And, I think uh, I think I think somebody was. I think Zach went to Bob's house for dinner one night already. I, I'm surprised. <laughs> true. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, Bob. No, Bob's a, a great guy and um, and very passionate about about the Oilers, obviously, and, and and hockey. So he was really really great person to meet and and just you know really excited about the year, obviously. Well, John and I know him very well. If he gives you any trouble, you let us know. And <laughs> we'll get we'll, him. We'll get on him. We'll get we'll him. straighten hey, him out for you. Now, Zach, I got I got to ask you one more question before we let you go. So, you you are well known in Southern Ontario as a uh, a children's book writer. Is there a book about moving cities coming about uh, in one of your storylines? <laughs> oh man, I got to get back on the writing wagon. It's been uh, it's been a busy summer for me. So I have been uh, I mean I've written a little bit, but not nothing crazy. Maybe that we can we can work that into uh, one of the books. Well, I tell you what, you, 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 those, you, you talked about road trips. Your road trips are going to be a little longer. Yeah. Uh, your, your flights are going to be a little longer. You might have a bit of time. Yeah, take the there we go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Do you write in longhand or do you type? No, I type. Do but you? I write notes down when, whenever, I, sure. whenever I you know, get an idea or whatever, but I type. Uh, look, we wish you the best. Um, I know a lot of people are going to miss you in, uh, in Toronto, um, all the fans. Uh, but we uh, wish you... Uh, continued success or new success in Edmonton. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for you. And uh, we thank you very much for taking a few minutes to chat with us today. All the best. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Zach Hyman in Edmonton, now a member of the Oilers. We'll come back and wrap it up after these messages. Well, John, our thanks to uh, Zach Hyman for uh, joining us. Nice young man. And um, I, I think he'll be successful there. I think he'll fit in with McDavid or Dreisaitl or whoever he plays with much as he did with the Toronto Maple Leafs and will make them better players and a better team. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you get a real sense from the way Zach carries himself of what, what kind of teammate he was and what kind of teammate he is. Uh, it's somebody that, you know, early on in his time in the Maple Leafs that Mike Babcock identified as uh, he, he was going to be a workhorse. You know, he, he was going to be somebody that the team relied on. And I fully expect. Um, and they did. And they did. And he yeah. was, you know. And, yeah. And I, I fully expect a, a similar scenario um, in Edmonton. It, 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 I never thought of this. I was going to, I should, we should probably follow up on it. I, because of Babcock's role with, with Hyman early on in his career. I wonder if he and Kenny Holland, who worked together in Detroit, if there were any discussions about is Hyman the guy to fit in, is either because Kenny would be going out and trying to find and create a consensus. What do you think? Between... Did Kenny talk to Mike? You're saying that's what I'm saying. Yeah, did yeah. Kenny talk to Mike? I I I I surmise that they would have uh, because well, they're we'll still ask, friends. We'll ask Colin the next time he comes on with us. Yeah, right? ab absolutely. But uh, I, I I you know I I think I think it's probably fair to assume, although Zach was very diplomatic as he always is. Um, it's fair to assume that uh, Hyman will will start on that left side with McDavid uh, and probably, and maybe Zach Cassian on the other side. Um, real quickly, before we go, Ryu for the Blue Jays uh, is um, on the 10 game injury list. Mm. Um, I'm a rather suspicious kind of person. Uh, I am, I am with no disrespect intended. I'm not the least bit convinced that he's hurt. Um, maybe he had a little bit of a stiff neck, but to put him on the 10 game at the 10 day, mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think what this was about was saying, all right, 
Um, this guy prefers to pitch once every six days, maybe even once every seven days, mm-hmm. kind of like Otani. You sure. know, they come from that culture where, you know, you basically play on weekends and um, he's, he's been pretty healthy all year long, but he looked like he was getting tired. So you're suggesting he's getting ready for the playoff. I think they breasted him. I think yeah. they looked at the schedule and said, you know, we we're better off if we can get Ryu rest him for 10 days, mm-hmm. bring him back and expect like they're, they're not dismissing him from the rotation by any stretch of the imagination. Let's rest him for 10 days. And we think he'll be the old Ryu. Yeah. You know, the 1.9 ERA Ryu rather than the 7.9 ERA Ryu um, when he comes back. Well, and it also speaks to, the, the success of the re- the rest of the rotation. Doesn't oh, it? sure it does. I mean, and, and particularly a guy like Steven Matz who has come in and, and pulled his weight and done a really good job as that fifth starter. Uh, so from, from that perspective, um, and I still, I, I mean, Hey, listen, the, the Jays have been put in a pretty good spot because the Yankees continue to falter, you know, Boston. Oh, well, yeah, but Boston's a bit of a juggernaut right now. And, and the Jays are played well, but the Yankees, you know, they've, they had an awful weekend. Well, there's truth to that, but John, the Blue Jays have won seven consecutive series. They won two out of three. Mm-hmm. What are they? I don't know. 20 out of 24, whatever the heck they are. I mean, yeah. they're the hottest team in baseball. The Blue yeah. Jays are the hottest team in baseball still. Yep. So, you know, the fact that they're a game and a half ahead of the Yankees, that's the Yankees fault. Oh yeah, totally. But, it, but it also speaks, you know, there wasn't, there isn't that need uh, for Ryu to make sure that he has to pitch in the next few days because they've bought themselves a bit of slack. That's all no, my point was. But the intriguing thing, and we've talked a bit about this um, and will continue to, is the notion that if Ryu comes back and in a week from now and has a good outing, where does he fit in the playoff rotation? And do not be surprised if he winds up in the top three. Do not oh, be no. surprised because I hear a lot of people talking about, well, he's now the fifth starter uh, and, you know, <laughs> and he's going to be the long guy out of the bullpen in, in the postseason. I'm not buying that in the least yet. No, I'm with you. I agree. Oh. You, no, you're right. But, but mind you, um, you know, the, the question of, of him being put on the sidelines for a little while does, does, I mean, create a little bit of angst, I think, amongst Jay's fans, just wondering sure if it does, but I don't, I don't, they shouldn't be, there shouldn't be angst. No, they're well, good. it goes He's to got a little, little boo-boo in his neck they, to put him on the 10 day was ridiculous. They're giving him, they're, they're giving him a rest. They're saying you relax, cool out. You're going to miss a start here and you'll be fresh as a daisy when you come back and when they need him. Yeah. We hope yeah. They, but they've got to get there though. Y'all. They've got to get there. They've got to get there. And it looks like the Red Sox are, you talk about the Jays being the hottest team in baseball. It looks like the Red Sox have, have, uh, have turned it around a little bit. Uh, once their COVID issues and their injury issues have been rectified. It ain't over till the uh, fat lady sings, as they say, but, um, it's going to be a battle mm-hmm. and, um, to be in the battle is something the Blue Jay fans couldn't even have anticipated three weeks ago. Uh, we got to get out of here. We got things to do, and so does everybody everybody else. Um, you want to reiterate who we have on tomorrow? Yeah, Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. Uh, we're going to talk. We haven't talked very much NFL no, long haven't. form yet, Bob, and it's about time we did, so that's why we're doing that. 
Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same station. Hope you'll join us. For John Shannon, Bob McCowan, see ya. Thank you.